Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast number 5. Today's message from Pastor Roy Burkett is titled, The Second Miraculous Sign, from John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. In this passage, we see Jesus heal the government official's son. Here's Pastor Roy Burkett from Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. I think it was going on about 1.30 when my head hit the pillow uh, this morning. And um, it reminded me of the pastor who, he was visiting another church and he was out with some of the people late at night. And so he got to bed rather late. And, and when he got up to pray for the offering the next morning, because he was tired and had some cobwebs kind of going through his mind, he started off his prayer for the offering. Uh, now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> so hopefully I won't get that far off base uh, this morning. Uh, that I'll keep uh, in touch with where we're at this morning. If you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4, we want to read the account of Jesus' second miraculous sign. The first one we saw in John chapter 2, where he turned the water into wine in Cana of Galilee. The same place, Cana of Galilee, is where this second sign also took place. And there's some significance, I think, as to why Jesus perform these miracles in that particular place, and we will talk about that. But let's read through the text, uh, and you can follow along in your Bible, beginning in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, For they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. And basically, I broke this passage down to three movements, and under each of those three movements, three thoughts uh, that I would like to uh, share with you today. The first movement we see in the opening verses is that Jesus left for Galilee. Jesus takes a trip to Galilee. And in this... um, I want us to notice three thoughts believers need to keep in their memory in relationship to this. Now, I'm going to give all three of them to you now, but actually the first one goes under movement one, second one under movement two, third one under movement three, but we'll revisit them. So three thoughts believers need to keep in their memory. The first thought is this. Our steps are directed by God. It is vital for us to realize that as we navigate through life, that we don't do it haphazardly or recklessly, but those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ are guided and directed by God. 
And we'll talk more about that. The second thought is this. Our stress makes us desperate for God. We go through stressful times, but in the process of that stress that we face, it makes us realize how desperately we need the Lord. Third, our submission deepens our faith in God. So the first thought here, our steps are directed by God. As we look at this, I want us to look at a map so we can... uh, I've got a couple uh, maps here so you can kind of see. The other week we looked at this whole thing, but here is uh, Galilee, Upper Galilee. Right here is Cana of Galilee. Right over here is the Sea of Galilee. Right over here is the Mediterranean. So it's just right in between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea that you can see there. Uh, Go to the next slide. And you'll see right there is a closer-up view of where Cana is. You've got Nazareth right to the south and Capernaum a little bit northeast of there. And, of course, the Mediterranean Sea out here. Just so you can kind of see that sidecar that we talked about last week is down here in Jerusalem further to the south. Go to the next slide. All right. This is what I want you to see. Uh, There were different tribes of Israel that were broken up. Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes And in those 12 tribes, you have uh, Naphtali right up here and Zebulon right here, which is the area around Galilee, which is the area of Cana. Now, why is that important? Go to the next slide, and there will be a closer-up view of that. I want you to see that whole area. See, here's Capernaum. Here's Nazareth, where Jesus is from. Notice this whole area is Naphtali and Zebulon. Why am I pointing that out? Because there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that talks about the gospel coming to that area in Isaiah chapter 9. And so this helps us really understand. In Isaiah chapter 9, listen to this. It says, beginning in verse 1, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, listen, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. By the way of the sea along the Jordan, the people... We're walking in darkness, have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. The question is, what light dawned? The light of the gospel in the person of Jesus Christ, because Jesus himself is the light of the world who walked into Zebulon and Naphtali. And what does he do? He turned the water into wine. He showed his power over nature. And now he shows power over sickness and death and disease by healing the royal official's son. And so I wanted you to see that because Jesus went there based on prophecy. What was our first thought again? Our first thought is this. Our steps are directed by God. Jesus' steps went to that very place, that very geographical location, because it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would go there. It is important to realize that the Old Testament says the steps of a good man, some of you can finish it, are what? Ordered by the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The treasury of David says this, that all his course of life is graciously ordained and in loving kindness all is fixed, settled, and maintained. No reckless fate, no fickle chance rules us. Our every step is the subject of divine decree. 
God has governed the steps of believers. And you and I are to be led by the Spirit of God. And that is how we will be effective. And there were people who were lost, who were one to Christ because they saw the light of the gospel. When you and I are going and navigating through our life, through our world, around different people, we should ask God to direct our steps and our speech so that we will impact others with the gospel and the cause of Christ. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. In Job uh, 13, 27, it says, You fashion my feet in shackles. You keep close watch on all my paths, listen, by putting marks on the soles of my feet. That God has set a print on our feet, and those prints should lead people to the cross to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 119, 133, the psalmist said, Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Now let me offer four challenges of why we have, can have trouble with our steps being directed by God. Number one, the first personal challenge we face is people. People can be an incredible challenge for us allowing our steps to be directed by God because people will try to distract us and get us off on lesser important things in our life rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus went back to a place, though, we have to remember, he went back to a place that he was not well received. A prophet is without honor in his own country. It says that in the Bible over and over. Each of the gospels mentions that. That he is without honor in his own country. And so, for Jesus to go back to a people that he was not well received. But it's interesting. Because when we look in this passage, look back in John chapter 4. Notice what it says in verse 45. Well, 44, it says, Jesus had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. That was not always the case. Jesus had spoken in a synagogue and he got up and he read out of the prophet Isaiah. It said he opened the scroll and he read out of the prophet Isaiah and the people were excited about all the words that he shared. And let me just uh, share this with you out of Luke chapter 14. Or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. It says he taught in their synagogues. He had returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news spread about him. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went in there, and he began reading from the prophet Isaiah that was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. It wasn't a very long sermon, was it? (laughs) But the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And And then listen to this. It says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. And then... He goes into another discourse just a couple verses later in the same text. And listen to this carefully. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. 
He says, I assure you, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And listen how they responded this time. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. The people in church that were hearing his sermon were furious at what Jesus said. They got up, they drove him out of the town, they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. They wanted to kill him. Here, it says he was well received. That was not always the case. If our steps are going to be directed by God, we have to realize that there are going to be people who will oppose us and not appreciate our message. It doesn't mean we change the message. It means we pray for courage to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and realize that some people are going to be furious about the message of the gospel on the cross. But we don't apologize for it. We preach it because it's the power of God to salvation. And so we preach it. The second challenge that we can have is peers. <laughs> Jesus faced rejection from his own people. It tells us in John chapter 1, he came into his own and his own received him not. How about it? Do you have peers that appreciate your faith, that love you and embrace everything you say and everything you stand for? Or are there peers who make fun of you and challenge you and say, what are you hanging on to that for? And you want to be all godly and all this and all that? Yes, you're going to have peers that may not accept you. Do you want to be accepted by God and your steps directed by Him, or do you want to be accepted by your peers? It may come down to that. I would say change your friends if they're not supporting you in your faith. There was a young man in Texas who's a student at Rusk Independent School District. And there was a teacher asked who was, he was asked to remove a controversial poster from his class, Texas classroom because a student in the classroom claimed that the poster was offensive to him. The poster contained a picture of the cross. And on the cross were the words Romans 1.16. A fellow classmate of this offended student by the name of Cameron Franks, a senior at Rusk High School, spoke out against the poster being removed. He decided to stand for his Christian beliefs, and he even created a T-shirt which read, Let God rule your world if you want God to rock your world. I thought that was great. Let God rule your world if you want God to rock your world. And he created the shirt in hopes that Christians would stand, take a stand against people who were criticizing the cross and a poster in that classroom. And that article, if you want to look at it, is on theblaze.com. That was an encouraging uh, article. Thirdly, our problems. They come in batches, don't they? What is it that keeps us from having our steps directed toward God? Problems. They assault us on the home front, in our home, or dealing with issues of extended family. Some of the hardest people to reach are family with the gospel. 
because you are so misunderstood and people so oppose you when you rub shoulders with them closely. But I want to encourage you to take a stand for your faith. Let your steps be directed by God. Ask God to direct your steps and to guide you. You can be attacked at work or school. And fourthly is pressures. To conform to the lifestyle of the world, to adopt a mindset that is anti-biblical. Some people would rather sacrifice biblical truth to live in a certain size house. Or they sacrifice biblical truth to live in a certain income bracket. Nothing wrong with having a nice house and lots of money as long as you keep God directing your steps and use it for His honor and glory. Let me ask a question as we close out this first movement. Am I committed to the divine will of God no matter the cost? Am I committed to the divine will of God no matter the cost? It cost Jesus to go back there and address those people with the gospel. It's going to cost us something to be committed to the divine will of God. The second movement, and we see, it picks up in the end of uh, verse 46. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. So the second movement here is Jesus takes a request from a royal officer. This royal officer, many people believe, very well could have been the royal officer of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas would have been considered, um, some would say king, tetrarch would probably be the technical term. Uh, But nevertheless, a man of incredible power. And yet this was probably one of his officials. And this is significant too because Herod Antipas is the one who had John the Baptist put in prison. So Jesus could have said, man, you had my good friend put in prison and executed. Uh, Now you're coming to me wanting me to heal one of your children. Uh, Forget it. (laughs) No. Jesus reached out to the man who embraced him in faith. So the second thought is that our stress makes us desperate for God. Maybe the reason why you feel so much stress and pressure and problems in your life is because God is wanting to drive you to the cross. He's wanting to drive me to the cross. Nothing puts us on our knees like trouble and stress and difficulty, where we cry out to God. And I think that's what he wants us to do. And here this royal official's like, I have no other choice but to cry out for God. I am desperate for my son's life. Jesus, do something. I need you. And when we get to that point, God is able to work in our lives. I'll never forget a young man coming into my office a number of years ago, and he came in. It was right when I was getting ready to leave work. And I thought, oh, man, I had a bad attitude. I wanted to go home. And this young man comes in, and he starts dumping out all of the stuff in his life. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. And then I started sharing, though, the gospel with him. He was desperate for God. I mean, he was absolutely desperate. His life was in shambles. His family was in shambles. His marriage was in shambles. Everything was in shambles. But 30 minutes later, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He called his wife on the phone before he left my office and said, I just asked Jesus Christ to come into my life and transformed him. 
changed him. He began attending our church. Him and his whole family came to our church. But it was his stress that drove him to God. And I think there are three truths we can learn about Jesus in this as we consider how this royal official came to Jesus. Number one is Jesus is approachable. Please understand you don't have to have a degree in theology. You don't have to have perfect attendance for the next 12 years of church. You don't have to live a perfect sinless life to come to Jesus Christ. You don't have to have all the right words, these, thous, those, so many, Lord God Almighty. No, you come to him as a big dad. Crawl up into his lap and talk the only way you know how. He's approachable. I mean, here was this man who didn't hardly know him, but he knew he heard heard about Jesus. And we approach him in that way. He says in Matthew 8 or 11, 28, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You see, in the Old Testament, you could not approach a king. If you read the story of Esther and Queen Esther wanted to go in and approach the king on behalf of the Jews, but she was scared because if she goes in there and she is not summoned by the king to go in there, she could be executed instantly. But yet she went in. That doesn't give you a good feeling when you walk into someone with that kind of approach. But when you go into Jesus, he receives us just as we are. Broken, doubting, whatever the case may be, he accepts us just as we are. He's approachable. He's our mediator. We have a high priest, the Bible says, who is, una- who is not unable to uh, sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The second thing we learn about approaching Jesus is Jesus is compassionate. He demonstrated compassion toward this man. He demonstrated incredible love and concern for the stress and desperation which this man came to him about. He didn't just brush him aside and say, oh, take that to somebody who cares. Jesus cares and he's concerned in psalm forty eleven. i waited patiently for the lord he turned to me and the bible says he heard my cry <laughs> he's compassionate psalm forty eleven. it's or i mean isaiah 40 verse 11 says he tends his flock like a shepherd he gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart he gently leads those who have young He is approachable. He's compassionate. And even last week, we looked at the woman at the well, a Samaritan, a wicked woman, living in immorality, (laughs) him being a rabbi. And what does he do? He compassionately speaks to her. Approachable and compassionate. If you are living in sin today, I want you to know that Jesus is approachable for you to bring your sin to Jesus. He is compassionate. He will forgive you of your sin if you're willing to repent of it and turn to him and trust him. Don't hang on to it. Give it to Christ and trust him. 
The third thing we see is that Jesus is sufficient. He was able to help the man in his condition. This young man who needed to be touched, Jesus was able to touch him. Psalm 40, verse 2, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. The prodigal son, when he ran home, he realized his need to be in his father's house, in his father's presence, to have his father's forgiveness. And he ran to his father because he knew his father was sufficient. And Jesus is sufficient for us as well. He was sufficient for this royal official's son. He is sufficient for our needs. It doesn't mean he's going to fix everything and heal everything, but he's going to give us the grace and the strength and the power to do what we need to do each day. But let me move on to the third point, the third movement here. Jesus takes an illness from the officer's son. Now, not anyone can just do that. (laughs) He took an illness from the officer's son. Look down in verse 50. Verse 49, he says, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Jesus also showed his power that he did not have to be physically present where his son was. He was geographically removed for a few miles, and the distance didn't stop the power of God. It was there. And what a wonderful thing, because it says he took Jesus at his word. He had no visual reality that his son was healed. He simply in faith believed the word of Jesus. If we want our steps to be directed by God, if we want to take our stress to God and exercise our desperation, we need to exercise faith in God. This is what the royal official did. He exercised faith in God by even bringing it to God, Jesus, in the first place. So here's our third thought again. Our submission deepens our faith in God. He submitted himself to the word of Jesus Christ. If we are willing to submit ourselves to the word of Jesus Christ, he is able to strengthen our faith. And what happened? It says the man took Jesus at his word. He departed when he was still on his way. His servants met him. The the news that his boy was living. And notice when he inquired as the time when his son got better, they said to him the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. It took him over a day to get home. He didn't just rush right back. He believed the word of Jesus. And he said the father realized it was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. Let me ask a question in closing. Do I believe that God is at work even when I can't see? There have been times in my life where I have had to trust God, and I'm sure times in your life when you couldn't see, there was no visual proof at all that God was working. I was looking for a sign, and there wasn't a sign. (laughs) 
There was no sign in the sky. There was no sign in my quiet time. There was nothing there to say that God was at work. He just simply says to take him at his word. And that's what we have to do. That's what God wants us to do. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Just remain seated this morning because we have one more thing we're going to do um, as we pray here this morning. I would just ask you to sit in your seat and bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Let me ask you, are you submitted in God, to God, to allow Him to deepen your faith? Are you allowing your stress to make you desperate for God? And are you allowing God to direct your steps? May God help us. It doesn't mean that he'll direct us away from difficult people at times. He may direct us to difficult people to be a testimony to them. See, our tendency is to run from problems and issues, and sometimes God may want to use us in the midst of a difficult situation. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, here in this text, Jesus has revealed himself again of his incredible power. Not only to heal a child, but he has power to deliver you from your sin. If you'll bring it to Jesus in faith and let him take control of your life. If you have questions about that, if you've never trusted Jesus to be your savior, you have questions, I'll be shaking hands out in the lobby after the service. Please stop by and see me and let me talk with you about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, it's so encouraging in our lives because we do face stress. We do face difficult people. We do face problems sometimes with peers and and pressures that we face in our lives. And and sometimes they can seem overwhelming, but God, you are there to direct our steps, and you are there to take our stress, that we can cast all our care on you because you care for us. Lord, if we would just submit to your word, and sometimes your word will not make sense to us. It seems like our idea might be better than yours. God, may we submit to you, knowing that you are all wise and all-knowing. And Lord, if there's someone here today who has not trusted you, to be their Savior and Lord. I pray that today would be the day of salvation, where they would take their hands off the reins of their life and give them to you and begin to allow you to guide their steps and to help them with the issues in their lives. Lord, we thank you for this incredible truth of an incredible Savior in whose name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check out our website at www.bchweb.org or on our Facebook page, Bethesda Church of Huron.